internal teacher, internal teacher, where in order for us to properly process the world around us, we can't just go through life. Because if you go through life without being inquisitive, without being curious, so then life will give you back nothing. If you engage in life, you use life as, a, as an, an experience which will give you um, tools to be able to move forward in every area of your understanding of what reality is so then you life becomes a deeply enriching experience but you need to have someone to teach you those lessons and we said you have to in, in, in explore, reveal reveal that, that inner teacher and he has to interface between you and the external world and the way he does it is by using a wide set of cognitive co- tools which Eight of which the Ramchal begins by spelling out. Yes, is that all in agreement? What we did last time when we met is we did a, a dot drawing exercise in order to see if we could become aware of that inner teacher. Do you all recall the dot drawing exercise? I want, you, I want to point out one very important point about that and how that corresponds to the introduction of the Derech Hashem. The introduction of the Derech Hashem says that there's nothing to compare when a person has a choice. Um, the experience of seeing a undergrowth, an overgrown garden, where everything is mixed up and, and growing into each other, that kind of looking at that doesn't fill a person with a sense of quietitude and satisfaction. Whereas when you walk into a garden which has been perfectly manicured and you see every plant in its set place and you see the entirety, you understand how they all interface with one another that sense of okay, beautiful is an experience that we all have. What we did was we were given a task to find shapes within a sea of dots, correct? Now what's amazing is that when you look at the dots without the shapes drawn in. It's just a random set of spots on the page. There's no order. And there's no, there's no, there's no cohesiveness. There's no idea of how, the, how all these different things are connected one to another. Do you understand that the process of actually completing the shapes within the dots is exactly what the Ramchal wants you to do with the universe? The universe is a sea of dots that is absolutely meaningless. It's meaningless. If, for example, I would fold over the part of the page which indicates the model that I meant to find within the dots, and I just showed you the dots themselves, and I said to you, okay, um, I want you to find the right shapes within these dots. It's a mission impossible. Because the relationship between the different parts is not explicit. It's imposed. When I understand what I'm looking for, then I can see it. But the nature of reality, when you look at it from the bottom up, doesn't tell me anything. In Jewish theology, this is known as Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad. Hashem is one, which means as follows that if you trace everything back to its source, 
there's a single element which contains it all. However, our experience of reality is diversity and fracture. The way we see reality, the way we process reality from our senses, is everything is disconnected from everything else. And only by stepping back do we find the connections. And that's even within the realm of science. When you first start your study, so you see, a, you see items which have no relationship. If you manage to study them and trace relationships, then you can step back and see, oh no, the reason why vultures feed off the carcass and the, the lion kills it, and then the hyenas and the vultures feed off it, and then the ground is nourished by the disintegrating bones. It's all part of the cycle. And if you take the vultures out of the equation, the whole thing... I told you an example about the drain swamps, right? The minute you subtract one thing from a system, the entire system collapses. But the system is not self-evident. The system needs to be studied. The details of what occurs, you don't see the system spoken out. The system is always underneath, on top, behind the scenes. What you're exposed to is diversity. What you're exposed to are episodes. What you have to do in order to create meaning is to take an episodic reality and find connection points until there's a causal component to the things in the universe. And then you go, okay, now I understand why the rain has to fall and then the trees have to grow and then the carbon dioxide put into the atmosphere. It all fits together. 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 So when you see an ecosystem that's a minute experience of saying Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad. You see the oneness. You see that even though things completely appear to be random, there's, a, there's an underlying connection. So there's an underlying connection between all the underlying connections between all the underlying connections. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? So I felt that when you experience that when you look at the dots and you see nothing and then all of a sudden the shape appears. It's because you have an inbuilt understanding of what the relationship should be. Once you understand what the relationship should be then you can perceive it. But from looking at the random set of events you won't be able to see it. Now, in the physical world through careful observation and study you'll be able to maybe trace patterns and come up with meaning. But because the spiritual universe is a hidden universe, as long as you studied the physical universe, you'd never be able to extrapolate the, the, the spiritual principles. So the spiritual principles are far more akin to the searching for the dots and the patterns within them. In other words, the dots themselves, without the model, are absolutely meaningless in the connection one to another. The model has to be imposed upon them and not extracted from them. So without the spiritual knowledge, the universe will be meaningless in terms of a spiritual component. <clears throat> what the spiritual knowledge does is it imposes understanding. It allows us to understand the connecting points which otherwise would be hidden forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what the Ramchal is saying in his work over here. He goes on and he says a few more technical, technical details in terms of how our self-educator, our mediator should teach us about the universe. He says you have to see if something is a part or a whole, a cause or an effect, a prat or klal, a detail or a principle, a noise 
or a mislave? Is it the thing itself or is it an accessory to it? Then he goes now and he makes the subdivisions in those categories in order to make a clarity of perception more refined. And he says, we're on page uh, 10 in my book, it's the second page of the introduction, and he goes on to say, Uh, the first word on the line is Mesoivov, and the last word on the line is Vyachkor. Vyachkor Kmoichein Lodas, Eze Min Mimina Mishabrimhu. When you're discussing a subject and there are associated things with the subject, for example, what we discussed was fire, if you're focusing on fire, one of the accompanying aspects of fire is heat. But there's heat without fire as well. So you've got fire, that's the essence, and you've got heat is a component of fire. So you have to understand, im koidem, is it prior, im nimshach, is it after, im islave, is accompanying. So the example that the Ramchal himself brings in, in Sefei Goyen is the example of, let's say your point of study is summer. So then, in relation to summer, spring is prior, and autumn, fall is after. And it's a heat is mislave. That's an accompany. That's, that's, that's a simultaneous component. Imatzmi um, mikri. Is it essential or is it circumstantial? So, for example, it could be in the summer. There's a World Cup as a marshal, but it probably depends what hemisphere you're in. If the World Cup is always around about July. So then, if you're in the southern hemisphere the middle of winter. If you're in the northern hemisphere, it's the middle of summer. So therefore, the fact that the World Cup is in the summer this year is Mikri. It's not Atzmi. The fact that it's in July is Atzmi. It's not Mikri. Essential. It's not circumstantial. Is it potential um, or is it realized? In other words, um, within We'll go back to our analogy of fire. So there's a, um, a potential for the fire to act as the fuel, as a heating element. Or could just, uh, it could just be a fire which is burning with no productive purpose. So that's potential or realized. If you put a pot on top of the fire, so it's a cooking instrument. If there's no pot on top of it, it's a potential cooking instrument. Fuel. Unless you've figured out all these things, you have an incomplete understanding. Then you have to go into the nature of the matter. Is it absolute or is it limited? If it's limited, what are the parameters? Anything which is real, if you get the parameters of the thing that you're studying wrong, so then you'll have an incorrect understanding. So this becomes really helpful for us in terms of thinking about life. For example, anger. Is anger a part of the whole, Joel? Anger, impatience, irritability. It's the whole. What are its parts? 
A part of anger is punching, a part of anger is swearing, a part of anger is shouting. So the whole is anger, and the parts are punching, swearing. Is it a cause or an effect? Okay, why is it a cause? If it's a cause, what's its effect? If it's an effect, what's its cause? Is it, is it a prat or klal? Is it a principle or is it an illustration? Anger. Anger is? Klal or prat? Sorry? Prat. What is klal? Sorry? Character traits. So if, if, you're, if you've got character traits, anger is a prat. But if you say punching and hitting, anger is the klal. Follow? So it depends what you're focusing on. But the truth is this becomes very interesting in terms of self-study and finding out the anatomy of self, which a lot of the different, as he's going to shortly discuss, in terms of breaking down the different components of the human being, is, for example, anger a cause or an effect? Is there something higher than anger that brings it into being? Or is anger the starting point? Is anger a consequence, for example, of arrogance? Or is its own prime category? So then you're saying anger is really secondary. So the cause of anger is self-centeredness. In other words, like this. So you say like this. If I'm self-centered and I think the world revolves around me and I control everything in reality, when reality doesn't conform to the way I want it to be, the result is anger. So therefore anger is an effect. The cause is a distorted perception based on egocentric perspective of the universe, which is, we call it in Hebrew, let's say, gaiva, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, and therefore anger is, is an effect. Oh, so do you understand how interesting it is? Once you have this vocabulary, it becomes much easier to start to find where we are in self. Yes. So is this to imply that apart from God, everything is both a part and a whole and a cause and an effect? Apart from God, which is only a whole and a cause. That's very interesting. In other words, you'll say that ultimately, if you trace things back, 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 there'll be a cause and that cause will have a cause and the ultimate cause is God. And then when you get to God, you say, then there's no cause for God. Right. So in other words, in terms of cause and effect, everything will be a cause and an effect. Theoretically, at least it will be an effect of a prior cause. Everything, even a cause, will be an effect of a prior cause, and everything will be a part of the greater whole, which is, let's say, that's that all these parts are contained in the ultimate whole. Beautiful, perfect. Is that his point, though? Uh, I think it's a point which, in other words, unless you ha- unless you're familiar with the vocabulary, he wouldn't be able to share that idea with you. So he's giving us the kind of the system that you can use to figure out what he's going to say later. Otherwise, you, you don't, you're not thinking in terms of, you don't have the right tools to be able to fathom what he's saying. Jacob? It's all like character traits. Character traits. You can say, oh, like, why do they say, like, a bit of anger, yeah? Yes. And it, I think they're, like, way too complex to be, like, they come from one cause and, and they say that because things are so interlinked when it comes to stuff like that, that there's not sort of one cause. At that particular time, you're angry because of that cause that cause that could come that and that, that but generally anger you know, it's so, so much more complex than just like you're saying people people can't be you can't put it apart it's a part of this and it's 
it's an effect of all the causes. That's so like you can't simple. people can't be glibly subdivided into very um, gross in the sense of basic. Oh, anger is this, jealousy is that, because every act could be a composite of twenty different emotions, <coughs> and those and those cause and effects could be traced to different events, personality mix, and therefore unraveling the mystery of self would be a very complex process. But, but, like any complex process, when you've got all the ingredients in front of you, then you can work backwards to see how the cake is made up. But if you don't have ingredients isolated in their own right, in terms of the fundamental cause and effect, so when you deal with the mixtures and the composites, so it becomes impossible to unravel. So in other words, yes, it's complex, but I don't think it's over-complex that we can't begin to have some type of working understanding of how it's functioning. Good. Okay, let's go on. V'omnam. When you start to think about the universe a little bit along the lines of what Jacob just said, and you start to think about the amount of things there are in the creation, it is just unfathomable. And how can you possibly contain them all? How can the human intellect contain all the myriad points of the universe? You possibly can't know them. You can't know every single thing in the world says the Ramchal to answer his question. This is a question. Meaning, here I am. My goal today is to present to you the way the world works. Says the Ramchal, in the lines of what Jacob just said, when discussing a human being, when you were discussing a human being, he said, there's too much, it's just too complicated, there's too many things going on. Says the Ramchal, Kol how much more so when you're dealing with the world? The diversity, the complexity, the, the, the kind of number and depth to each and every molecule. How can you possibly get that all in your head? Question. And he answers. In other words, yes, you can't. You can't possibly know all the protein. You can't know all the details and all the details. But you can know some governing principles because one cloud can include many protein. I'll give an example. The cloud of electricity, which is the movements of electrons from one pole to another. It's one. I can get that. Once I get that, I know how the electricity works in these lights. I know how it works in a car. I know how it works in a washing machine. I know how it works in a computer. Because it's the same thing. But if I start to try to figure out how a computer works, how, but if I understand electricity, I've understood now a hundred thousand things just by understanding electricity. You following me off? In other words, when you get a cloud right, so every possible expression of that cloud you've now got. So if I manage to... Yes, Joel. But like, let's say you understand electricity, right? But a computer, just to give a case, requires coding. Coding has nothing to do with electricity. Right. So although you might understand one of electricity, you really understand nothing about computers. Absolutely not. The only thing you'll, you'll understand about computers is the, the, the energy source that generates it. Yeah. 100%. But, 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 
That you'll understand. Now, you won't understand computers, so the, pr- the, the chances are, if you understand the basic fundamentals of bi- the binary language, you'll understand the principles behind most computer languages. Do you understand? So just with understanding ones and zeros, you'll understand enormous amounts about computers. But it's only like, it's really a very simple principle. But we'll, it will it will be manifest in there and there and there and there and there and there. So you see that one cloud contains countless protein. Can you hit you with a pircha? <laughs> you found that funny. But then, Rebel, yeah. you've changed your cloud from electricity to binary programming. Again, two different clouds. Yeah, I wasn't changing. I was saying this is one cloud, there's another cloud. And then the truth is, within, there'll be smaller, there'll be different clouds and clodium and clodium and protein and protein. In other words, you'll have, you have families of computer languages which have a particular expression of binary and others you'll have a different expression. And within them you'll have more and more and more. But you understand that when you start off at a single point and you, you like a pyramid and you go down, 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 so then you trace everything to the original point, the starting point. Whereas if you don't understand the original starting point, so the more you know, the more confused you are. Because there's no, there's no way of tracing it back to its starting point. So really, if you, if, you want to, if you really want to learn, I'll give you an example. And this is actually the founder of the modern coaching, life coaching movement, was a tennis coach, I think in San Diego. Now until he was, he was revolutionary in terms of his, his tennis coaching ability. Because until then, the way people would coach tennis was, okay, when you grip the racket, and this is actually how I was taught tennis. We'll speak to, speak to um, Rabbi Ziskin, how he was taught tennis. But the, the way, the way and, he, and he's jolly good, he's actually almost as good as I am in table tennis. I think he, I think he even got double figures the last time. So, and he's leaving on the, in the back as he leaves. So, when, you, when, you, when I, was told to, I, said, I was told to hold the racket, so the coach said, okay, I want you to hold the racket. He said, hold it like you're shaking someone's hand. So obviously he wasn't yeshivish. Because um, <laughs> otherwise it would be this. Have you seen the, the, the ultra yeshivish handshake? It's like the tips, no? You can get the tips, you can get the tips. But the, the, worst, the worst yeshivish handshake is when you, when you get the, the wet fish handshake and then you try to remove your hand. <laughs> and like you're starting to feel this like this sticky palm and it's like it's like next to yours and you're trying to extract and it ain't working because even though there was like a an illusion of softness there's, there's a firmness which keeps you trapped so so hold it like you're shaking someone's hand and he's okay now put your arm in this position where the, the degree of and he told me how to hold my forearm and then he said okay put your left foot forward arch of and he described to me how to take the shot. So this tennis coach who found coaching didn't do that. Didn't do that. What he did was, he said, okay. So I want you to go, I want you to say the words after me. Bounce, hit. Bounce, hit. Bounce, hit. So the person started to say, bounce, hit. Bounce, hit. So he said, what you want to do is, when the ball comes towards you and it bounces, I want you to hit. Let's go. Bounce, hit. Bounce, hit. Bounce, hit. And then as he was saying bounce, hit, he'd throw a ball to him. The ball would bounce and he's saying hit. Bounce, hit. And then, as a result, the person would start to feel the form. And he wouldn't tell him how to stand. He wouldn't tell him how to hold the racket. He wouldn't tell him how to do anything. He'd 
tell him how to feel the situation, gauge the situation. In other words, discover for yourself the principle behind it. If I teach you hold your record like this and move your arm like this, I've taught you protein. I haven't told you the essence of the movement. But when I give you the freedom to learn yourself, so then you're able to grasp, okay, when I bend my knees, I get more power. So then instead of me saying, bend your knees, when all I know is bend my knees, you're saying, get more power, and I'll do that through bending my knees. Instead of saying, tighten my grip on the racket, you'll feel that when you hit with a strong grip, you get more power than when you hit with a loose grip. So then I've grasped the notion of loose and tight grip. And this tennis coach, who became the founder of coaching, he wrote a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And then he thought, as a challenge to himself, let's see if this really works. So he started playing golf. And he didn't ask for any coaching on golf. He said, let me use my own internal coach to teach me how to play golf. And uh, he succeeded. Because he was looking for principles and not for protim. He's looking for lessons which are global and not lessons which are local. You need to be like, have a high self-awareness, consciousness of all your surroundings. That's, that's where the mediator comes in. So the coach will step in and he'll say, okay, listen, I see that you're hitting the balls high. What happens if you lower your leg? So the guy lowers his leg that's and he says... That's not a thing. What no, no, because why? I'll tell you why. Because when you say to him, bend your knees, you're giving him a, a directive. When you say to him, tell me what happens when you lower your legs. Okay, now what happens if you keep a stand up straight? What was the difference between those two things? The guy who says, when my legs were low, I felt more power. Excellent. So I've created that self-awareness inside of you. So in other words, the goal of the coach was where you don't have a self-awareness to mediate the self-awareness. How did that happen? Tell me, how did that happen? For example, I had the most mind-blowing experience on Shabbos. I walk into Shul. That was mind-blowing. It's the first time I've been to Shul in ages. Joking. <laughs> Going to I'm with my uh, four-year-old son, five-year-old son. And um, he took a treat to show. And he looked at me as about to eat the treat and he said, is there, is there mezuzah on the show? I said, yeah, yeah, there's a mezuzah. So he said, thanks. And he ate it. And he ate it. I was blown away. A month ago, we went to Tzfat. We went to the Aria, Aria College Shul. And we went to the Shul, and there was a person there who was like, he's learning the Shul, but he's obviously the custodian of the Shul. And he said, don't bring any food in here. Don't bring any food. The Arizal Shul is one of the few Shuls which doesn't have a mezuzah. And the reason why it doesn't have a mezuzah is because it's specified only for davening. It's not called a place of living. If you're living in a place, you have to have a mezuzah. I was living, living is defined as sleeping and eating. So because it doesn't, because it's specified only for that, it doesn't have a mezuzah, but it also means that you shouldn't sleep and eat in it because then it becomes a shul that requires a mezuzah. So my son listened to that and he developed a principle. It wasn't just that I don't eat in the Ari Zal shul. It was that the idea of eating being a place, making a place a place of living, which would then require a mezuzah. And he was about to eat in the shul five weeks later. So he asked, is there a mezuzah? So I spoke to him last night and I said to him, I was just blown away by your question. How come, how do you know it's said? So he said, no, he says, because when he walked in, he didn't see the mezuzah. 
So then I was even more blown away. I just thought it was a random question, is there a mezuzah? But he actually assumed there was a mezuzah, he didn't see it this time, so he said, okay, well maybe he shouldn't eat. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I was blown away. And it's not because of my, my great kinuch techniques, it's because it's quite fascinating that this particular child has gone to a, a special nursery school where they are exceptionally talented at teaching people learning processes. Just been to see this child developed has been Cain and horror. It's been it's been phenomenal. Even when they walk up the stairs, they've got a educational goal to the way that they they don't let them walk up the stairs. They get them to jump with two feet, to work on coordination, and to work on this jump from side to side, to work on center line. Do you know that there's there's a, there's a, a reading trainer in Shlaim that you can often correct reading problems by getting people to jump on trampolines. <laughs> People have got this problem called midline that they can't cross over. They can't cross over the center of their body, and it's, it's a huge, huge problem when it comes to reading. So you have to teach a child to be able to just go like this. A lot of problems, say for example, of letter recognition, can be rectified if you get the child to walk the shape of the letter. Because if, for example, a child grasps things kinesthetically and not audially or visually, they can feel, when they feel the shape of the letter, then they can write it. So these are amazing things, and these are the kind of things we have to learn to become our own inner teachers. Um, so that's what the, Ram, the Ramchal is saying over here. When you understand the principles, so then you liberate it. Because that means every time you meet another illustration, another prat, so you've got the capacity to figure out what it is. Whereas if I teach you detail and detail and detail and detail, there's no end. I'll never, ever, 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 ever get close to finishing. It's a lesson in, in education at the same time. Let's say computers is what I'm is another Aren't still like a magnitude The truth is, but again, it could be that you can always find, there will always be more and more and more pratim. And every time you go down one level, there'll be a cult of the prat and the prat of the cloud. But if you can go to the original klalim, so then you already have a grasp on reality. And then however far down you get is how far down you'll get. But provided you can understand the fundamental klalim, you already have the working structure of the universe. Yes, Josh? Um, are these guidelines only for the material world? No, for both the material and the spiritual world. But then, um, for example... If you're understanding the difference between a part and a whole, yeah. So then, I mean, Hashem, you wouldn't say Hashem is a part. So that's the comment Joshua made. He said that everything ultimately will be an effect and a part, but Hashem. But then you aren't really understanding the spiritual world. Are you? Why not? Well, isn't that the source? I mean, within the spiritual world, there are millions of pl- parts and holes. Subdivided. It's a complex structure, as we'll soon find out.